Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now enjoy the message. Great to see all of you guys this morning, and thank you for watching online. Thank you for sharing the services. We're beginning a new series. We're really trying to look at the values of our church. What are those elements of our ministry uh, that makes the church who we are? I I really do believe when you look at churches uh, that every church has its own uh, unique bent. Every church has its own DNA. There are no two churches exactly alike because God doesn't make uh, duplicates. He only makes originals. So every church that you attend is a unique expression of who God is. Uh, Jesus established the church. In fact, it was a great act of faith that he established the church, as we're gonna see this morning, because when he declared the beginning of the church, it it didn't exist. So he he was teaching a concept to the apostles that they had never heard before. He was talking about this organization that was really going to be more of an organism that would exist even after he ascended back to his father. Uh, When you look in the Bible, uh, the Bible actually uses four different words to describe a church. And in it, you get a greater understanding of how a church uh, should be. For example, in 1 Peter 3, 8, the Bible says the church is a family, a family. God is a father, we are his children. So when we gather corporately, we gather as a family. Now I don't know about you in my church tradition, my dad was a pastor and so it wasn't uncommon to call people in the church brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. I mean, we kind of still do that in our vernacular today, don't we? Hey brother, how you doing, man? Hey sister, what's up? So that's kind of that familial type of communication is really a carryover for one of the ways whereby he said, we are called a family. And a church really, really is a family. You you ought to feel that connection with people that you worship with each and every week. A a church is a family. Then he said, a church is not only a family, but in Matthew 26, 31, he said a church is a flock, a flock. Every time I think about the analogy that Jesus uses or the metaphor that he uses to describe his kids is he uses this word uh, sheep. He compares us to sheep. We're like a bunch of sheep. (laughs) (laughs) In Isaiah, he said, all we like sheep have gone astray. And and the reason I I think that always strikes me a little bit is because, (sighs) how do I say this diplomatically? I can't, so let me just say it. Sheep are the dumbest animals God ever created. They really are. You, you, here's what I know about sheep. You cannot possibly train a sheep. There's no, you can't train sheep. It's not possible. I, I love this story, and some of you have heard me share this, but back at the stock show and rodeo, if you guys have been out there, years ago, they had a, a, a rodeo act, Tommy Lucia, uh, and he had a sheep dog, and riding on the back of the sheep dog was a spider monkey. Anybody remember that? You can Google it, it is a real thing, kids. And he, he, he dressed this little spider monkey in his little cowboy outfit, and the spider monkey is riding on the back of a sheep dog, and he goes out in the arena and he releases these sheep into the arena. And the bit is that the sheep dog, with 
the spider monkey riding his back, will herd these sheep into one end of the arena into a pen, then he'll kind of shoo them out and then they'll herd them down to the other end of the thing and he'll put them in a pen and they do that for a couple of times, load them up and go. Well, I thought about that. There's some 20 something performances out there at the Fort Worth Rodeo. Uh, Tommy would travel all over the country, same bit, same dog, same monkey. By the way, same sheep. And what struck me one time is, don't you think at some point the sheep would get a clue? Don't you think one of the sheep would say to the other sheep, you know what's gonna happen? We're riding out in the middle of this arena, the dumb dog with the monkey on his back is gonna chase us into the pen, they're gonna clap, but we're the butt of the joke. Why don't we just, why don't we just play one on the monkey and the dog? Let's just run into the pen and just steal their thunder. Never happens. Here's what I know about those sheep. They run out in that arena like they've seen the light of their very first day. Oh, looky here, what people, a dog with a, with a monkey on it, and they run. They never learn. They repeat the behavior over and over and over again. And, and no wonder when he said, man, we're kind of like the, the sheep. We, we don't learn from each other a lot of times. We don't even learn from our own life experiences sometimes. When you read the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, it's a book all about Solomon saying, I did this, so don't do this. And so many times, you know, we go, well, you did it and you had a bad consequence, but that won't happen to me. <laughs> and so we go right on down the road like Solomon, like sheep. But sheep, it's interesting because in that, you, you understand how a church should be, how a church should be led because you can't drive sheep. If they're cattle, you can get behind cattle and push them. That's how you move cattle. You just get behind them and push them. If you try to push sheep, you'll scatter sheep. The way, you, the way you move sheep from one place to another is you lead them. You have to get in front of them. And the sheep has to have a relationship with the shepherd or they don't respond to the voice. Years ago, my parents were in Israel and they were out on the hillsides and they were watching uh, these sheep that had gathered and these sheep herders that were there. And they said there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of sheep all intermingling and all together and the shepherds were up on the hillside talking with one another and the guide said, I wanna show you something unique. He said, in a little while, these shepherds are gonna disband and they're going to walk away and they're gonna gather their sheep. And of course, my dad said, well, how do these shepherds know which sheep goes with, with who? How do, how do the sheep know? He said, just watch, you're gonna enjoy this. And a little while, one of the shepherds, he started to walk away and he started singing. And as he was singing, these sheep started leaving the flock and started responding to the voice of the shepherd. And one by one, the shepherds leave, one's playing kind of a flute and the sheep would hear that and they would follow the, and, and here's what he said. And not necessarily a religious man, he just said, the sheep know the voice of their shepherd. And they'll always follow the voice of their shepherd. Remember what the Bible says, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they, they follow me. So when he says we're, a, we're like a family, that means we're brothers and sisters. And he said, we're like, we're like a flock of sheep. You know, we, we make mistakes and we don't always learn from each other, but we're led by an under shepherd who is following our shepherd and we can hear his voice, we respond. All right, so you have a family, you have a flock. He said the third verse to describe a church is a fellowship. Acts chapter 242. 
meaning we're in partnership with each other. If you're in a fellowship with someone, that means you share some shared values, some shared objectives, some shared goals. You're on board with vision and with mission because you're in a fellowship. Well, a church has a vision and a church has a mission and each individual church has an objective and God has a purpose. And when he begins to lead you to be a part of that congregation, that fellowship, he's leading you into a partnership so you can share in the vision and the direction that the church is going. That's why he led you there. So you be a part of that, so you can help them fulfill that, that purpose. You see, everybody has a place and everybody has a purpose and there's a, there's a reason God brings you into a, a church. There's something for you to, to do and achieve. We're, we're, we're better with you here. You have a gift and you have a unique calling. And so there's a place for you to, to fit. So you have a family, you have a flock, you have a fellowship. And then this morning we're gonna explore the idea that the church is also a body, a body. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. That's why you hear that common uh, uh, idea that the church is the body, the body of Christ. And that's so true. We are the um, spiritual, mystical body of Christ here on the earth. Where he left in his physical body and ascended in Acts 1, he left this church as his mystical, spiritual body. Now, there is a church... Uh, that is universal, a church Catholic, universal is the idea. I'm not talking about Catholic church, I'm just talking about universal. There is a church that is, meaning that every person who knows Jesus, regardless of where they are in the world, is part of, the, of that church, that universal body of Christ. Meaning that that orphanage we support in Uganda, the church we support in Belize, all of the missions of people that we know around the world, if they know Jesus, we're part of the same family. We're in the same fellowship, we're in the same flock. Hey, we're part of the same body. So there's a church that is universal. So we have brothers and sisters all around the world. So there is a sense in which Jesus has a, a universal body on this earth. But there is a church that is local, a local church. Uh, the Bible says Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. And so you and I, understanding the value and the priority he placed on the church, we, we connect into a, a local church. We find the church where we fit. We, we find the place God is leading us to join. And, and I'll say it up front, there's no such thing as a perfect church. We don't have one. We don't have a perfect pastor. <laughs> I've told you before, I don't like everything we do. <laughs> I mean, there's certain things like, oh, like that. Well, I didn't like that. And I've told you before, in terms of me, I don't believe everything I've ever said. <laughs> so we don't have, this is, we're not going for perfection here because the only way you're going to get that is to be in the presence of God. That, then you'll be perfect. So I'm just suggesting, and I'm not making excuses, and I'm not saying we don't strive for excellence because we do. But I'm saying in that journey, we're imperfect. We're sinners saved by grace. We're gonna make mistakes. We're gonna do some things better than other things. Hopefully we learn from them, we improve them. There's no perfect church. And I, and I would tell you, that. can I give you this warning? If you ever find a perfect church, don't join it. You'll mess that deal up. <laughs> Stay away from it. So we're not a perfect church, but listen, we do serve a perfect savior and I do teach from a perfect scripture. So we are very certain that our church is anchored on God's word. 
which is the first value that I want to talk to you about, and that is our faith, the body of belief. Everything we teach and everything we do is anchored in our understanding of God's word. It, it, is, it is what we, what we believe. That's why I can give you an opinion, you can give me your opinion, but at the end of the day, we wanna know what does God's word say about this? Because listen, I, I honestly, I, I can be wrong about stuff, I can misunderstand things, but when I square what I teach and I square how I live with the principles and precepts of God's word, I'm not gonna get too far off uh, the mark. And then not only what we believe, but we also believe that our faith guides how we behave. Um, your belief system will determine how you behave. You behave a certain way because of your values, your core beliefs. It governs how you do business, it governs how you treat your neighbor. Uh, I'll back up another step, it governs how you love your family. Uh, those values, that belief system, will determine how, how, you, how you behave. And listen, thirdly, that determines ultimately who you become. So what I believe determines how I behave and how I behave ultimately determines who I become. That's true of a church. And so I'm suggesting to you that when you have a church that bases what they believe and how they behave on the principles of God's word, even though it's an imperfect organization, it's still going to make a great difference in the lives of other people because it's based on the very right thing. So look with me in Matthew 16, and in Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus is, is, is declaring the establishment of this church. And he's doing it after he had engaged his apostles in this little uh, exercise of, what are you guys hearing about me? What's the buzz going around? They had just entered into this area called Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus was creating buzz everywhere he went. There were people talking about him. And so he's asking the guys, what are you hearing people say about me? And they responded and said, man, some people say you're, you're Elijah, you're a prophet. Other people say, no, you're like Jeremiah. You've got this tender heart and people love your heart. Others say you're like John the Baptist. Man, you're just like this old throwback Old Testament guy and you preach repentance and how people need to turn and change the way they're living and draw into God. And then Jesus kind of turns it on him and says, but, but who do you say I am? And guys, at the end of the day, the most significant thing is not what everybody else thinks about Jesus, but it's what we think about him. How we come to terms with our own personal faith it's, it's where we are with him at the end of the day. Because my, one of my core beliefs is that it is not a person's religion that justifies them at the end of the day. It's not a person's righteousness that justifies them at the end of the day. It's a person's relationship to Jesus that justifies them at the end of the day. Here's what he said, John 14, six. He said, I am the way, not one of many, the truth, not your truth, my truth, everybody's got a truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. And then he said this, no one comes to the Father except by me. So your relationship with Jesus is, if, if you and I never see each other again, if you, you never go to another church again, the most significant thing in all of eternity is what did you do with Jesus? And you'll do one of two things. You receive him or you reject him. And so Jesus is saying, uh, who do you say? And here's what Simon Peter said, I love it. He said, you're the, the Christ, 
You are the son of God. That's who you are. And Jesus said, you've said it well. He said, in fact, the only way you really knew that is, was that degree of certainty is my heavenly father revealed that to you. And then here's our text. That's all the precursor. Here's what he said. Look at Matthew 16, 18. He said, and I will say to you, he's continuing this conversation, right, with Peter. Here's what I'll say to you. You are, you're Peter, Petros. You're a stone. But upon this rock, Petra, boulder, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Peter, you're a stone, you're, you're, you're a piece, you're significant and you're important, but I'm not gonna build my church on a, a stone. I'm building my church on a boulder. You, you, you're, you're Petros, this is going to be a, this is a, this is something unshakable. This is something unmovable. This is an organization that will be an organism that will exist long after you've died. This is what I'm gonna build my church on. And then he said, and to show you the power this church will possess when it's functioning, he said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now gates are not offensive things, they're defensive things. Gates don't attack. And Jesus is using this idea, gates are portals, they are they are ways whereby we move from one room to the next or one realm into the next. The gates of hell, he is indicating, move you from a, 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 a wholesome realm into an unwholesome realm, from a godly realm into an ungodly realm. You're going into the realm of Satan where the enemy occupies this territory. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that this church, when it's organized and it's fully functioning, if this church decides to charge hell, <laughs> that hell could not withhold, withstand, or prevent the church from succeeding. That's a powerful statement. So Jesus prophesied that he was going to organize this church and he was going to create this body that would exist on the earth in perpetuity long after he ascended into the, into the heavens. So when the physical body of Jesus ascended, the Holy Spirit descended and the church was extended into the then known world. And you and I sit in this room today and many of you watching as an extension of that experience, as a part of that early church that Jesus established. And so our job is to carry our faith, our belief and share it and, and bless people who do not yet know Jesus. So there was the challenge, the body of Christ. When I think of the church and I think of it as a, as a body, and I, I think about that concept of how we are to operate. You remember when Jesus, when the Bible describes how God formed a body, the original body in the garden of, uh, of uh, Eden. And by the way, I, I accept the Genesis account of creation. I'm, a little, I'm old school. Uh, I believe you could have used other means, but I, I take the Bible literally. I, I believe in that. I believe that God one day stepped from nowhere because there was nowhere for him to come from, and he stood on nothing because there was nothing for him to stand on, and he spoke everything into existence, and he created everything that exists, and it's here because he tells it to stay here. That's pretty simplistic, but that's what I believe. I accept the biblical account of creation. 
I believe God did create man as he said. Someone has said, once I was a tadpole beginning to begin. Then I was a frog with my tail tucked in. Then I was a monkey in a banyan tree. Now I'm a professor with a PhD. <laughs> well, I just go back to the Genesis account. And when you think about the body, how he formed it, the Bible says he first and foremost formed it from the dust of the ground. So Jesus, God, forms the body. He says, let us, speaking of the divine trinity, let us make man in our image. The original image, the original form that God created this body was the Imago Dei. It was in the image of God. Perfection in every way. Perfect. That's the original form. You and I, we bear some resemblance to the original form, but we're not in that form anymore because of sin. Uh, we're, we're kind of a wrecked version of the original design. Um, for example, if we leave here in a few minutes, and we will, uh, and we were to go to the wrecking yard, and I were to show you a Rolls Royce at the wrecking yard, I go, look at that Rolls Royce. You say, that's a Rolls Royce. Isn't that amazing? What a magnificent car. That's a Rolls Royce. You still haven't seen a Rolls Royce. You've seen a wrecked version of a Rolls Royce. When we look at each other, we're not seeing the original design. We're seeing some dented fenders, some, <laughs> some cracked windshields. We're seeing some low tires. We're seeing a close version of the original design, but we're not going to be perfected until we're one day in his presence. That's what heaven's about. Third John says, beloved, it does not yet appear what we will be. But we know that when one day we see him, we will be like him, for we will then see him as he is. One day will be Imago Day. Heaven is about putting us back into the original design. But we're not there yet. We're going to make mistakes. The best we'll ever be here on the earth are sinners saved by grace. Um, we're gonna make mistakes, and that's, it is what it is. So you have him forming the body. The next thing in Genesis, he says, once he formed the body, as he breathed into the nostrils of man, the breath of life and man became a living soul. So the body once formed had to then be filled before there could be life. Meaning that if all you have is an organization and you have no life, then you have a good structure, but it's not gonna impact anyone. A church can have great structure, but if there's no life, it's not gonna impact anyone. The spirit is life. And so the body formed had to then be filled before the third thing could happen, and that is it could then function. It could function. It had to function with unction. <laughs> it had to function with the filling of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, God created man, as we understand in the garden in the original design, and his purpose hadn't changed so that ultimately mankind brings him glory. Now, what does that mean? You could define the word glory this way. Glory could be defined as everything God is. So when I bring God glory, that means everything that he is is being reflected in my life. When a church brings him glory, Ephesians 4 says, unto him be glory in the church. When it, that, that means the church is a reflection of who God is. That means somebody looks at the church and says, they're doing what Jesus did. 
They love people like Jesus loved people. They accept people like he accepted people. They're working with people like Jesus were. They're tolerant with people like Jesus was tolerant. So when a church begins to do what he did, the result is God receives glory, and that's the ultimate aim of him creating us individually and collectively. So you have him, God created man to bring glory. Second reason he created, he said, take care of this place. I hear people from time to time says, man, wouldn't it have been awesome if sin had never entered the picture, we wouldn't have to work. Well, you need to reread that because work was introduced before sin ever came into the picture, meaning God created us to work. Now, because of sin, work got harder. Thorns and thistles and lions and tigers and bears. I mean, it got harder. I mean, now snakes were something you're afraid of, right? Didn't used to be that way. Some of our crazy people actually have pet snakes. I don't know. Same people have cats. I don't know. No, I don't, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm nothing against you cat people. Love you people. But I'm just saying, what was I saying? I'm just saying. <laughs> but in that original design, God created us to work. He designed, now sin made work harder, but God designed, meaning there's something for you to do. There's a job for you to fulfill. There's something for you to perform. So when I think about how you formed Adam and Eve, and I think about the original design, the forming of the man, the, the filling with his breath, and the function that they're to do, bring him glory, work. I compare that to the church, the body of Christ. The church formed. He established it there in Matthew 16. He formed the church. When you read Ephesians 4, the Bible talks, it's a great chapter, by the way, but it talks about how a church should be structured. And a church needs structure. It needs organization. So you have this church that God formed and he formed it with structure. He formed it with an organization. For example, let me give you Ephesians 4, 11. He gave this church apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And here's why. He, he gave this church these qualified people who have certain gifts so that, and here it is right here, so that they can perfect or they can equip saints meaning the fundamental purpose of leadership within a church is try to help people discover their unique design. Our job is to help you figure out your job. The job of leaders within the life of the church is to help people primarily figure out what God has designed them to do. Now it's interesting because the larger a church gets, the more people you have to have in leadership. When Cindy and I started the Met with about 25 of us here, and we've got a group of them here, still here, God bless you. Great is your reward in heaven. Uh, but when we started, we, we didn't have, it's just me and Cindy and our, our core. So we had lay leaders and a lot of churches, that's what you, but it wasn't long within about a year or two. I mean, we're having two and 300 people attend. And so we had to bring, and we couldn't afford to have them full time. So we had to have lay leaders, people within the church to fulfill the role of helping people find their fit in the life of the church of mentoring and teaching and training people. Uh, statistics say, this is a little inside baseball, so bear with me. Statistics say that the average church uh, in America averages about 120 people. And ironically, the average pastor can only effectively minister to about 120 people. So therefore, the average church is a reflection of about all the average pastor can handle. Now, given the demographics of an area, sometimes it's small town, sometimes you don't, but if it's a larger city and it remains a smaller church, there can be a lot of reasons why that's so. 
Sometimes it's people in my profession who feel threatened by a church that's outgrowing them and they're not willing to share leadership with other people and that happens and sometimes you can, in my work, we can limit the growth and potential of a church because we're insecure. And then on the flip side, sometimes we can be egotistical and decide it's our job as a pastor to try to be the biggest and the brightest and the best thing around and instead of listening to what Jesus said when he said, I will build my church, we say, Jesus, we will build your church. And he steps back and says, help yourself there, sport. Hope that works out for you. Loosely translated, I don't know if he actually says that. <laughs> Thought I might say if I were God. So I'm suggesting that what you have to do is then you have to bring other people on. And God will lead us, he's led some great people through the years here to serve here. He's led some of them away. Some of them we had to push out because <laughs> they just didn't have it next. You know, dud, sorry. Uh, <laughs> But you, you kind of go through a lot of cards to get your aces. And so, you know, you get those people that God is calling to lead because their job is to help people within the church figure out where they fit so a church can grow. And of course, I hear the criticism, I don't want to be a part of a big church. Well, I understand that. We didn't set out to be a big church. We didn't know what this was going to look like. We started in the high school. People just kept coming. Put yourself in my place. At what point do I say, there's too many of you, go home? <laughs> And then who do I decide stays and who gets to go home? You see what I mean? So it, it's, it wasn't an objective to have a big church. It just was a byproduct of, I guess, they liked what they were getting and kept coming. So what do you do with that? Well, you try to manage it. Uh, I've, got, I've got a plaque in my office that says, there they go and I must hasten after them for I am their leader. <laughs> but the point is churches grow. Uh, here, here was an interesting thing. Um, You'll never know, regardless of the size of church you're a part of, you'll never know more than maybe 50 or 60 people by name. And you'll never be closer than maybe eight to 10 of them. So if you're in a church of 10,000, you're only gonna know about 60, 50 people by name. And you're only gonna hang with about a dozen of them. If you're in a church of 50, you might know all of them by name, but you're not gonna be close to just a handful of them. So the size of the church doesn't matter, it's the engagement in the life of the church that really does make the difference. That's why I think as a church gets bigger, it has to get smaller at the same time. You have to organize and get people connected with other people because the Bible says the ultimate goal of the body is that the body should minister to itself. So once you're connected into the life of the church, you can give ministry and you can receive ministry. So you, but my, what, here's what I want you to miss with all that stuff. The church has structure. <laughs> Isn't that, I could, could I just said that and let you go home? <laughs> But then I wouldn't be doing my job. I'm supposed to almost tell you things that you're not really asking me about, so that's part of my job. So you have the church that's formed. By the way, one other thing on that. Uh, when the church talks about pastors and spiritual leaders, there are three Greek words that define the role of a pastor, and in it you get your job description as a pastor. The Bible uses the word poimain. Poimain is a Greek word. We get the word shepherd from poimain. So part of my job is an under-shepherd. I referred to that a moment ago. Remember, we're sheep. So a shepherd is to lead and feed and guide sheep. Poimain. Um, and the second word is presbyteros. We get the word presbyterian or presbytery from that. Uh, presbyteros means to be um, spiritually mature. Um, some churches have elders. That's, that's where that idea comes from. Um, an elder, it, just, it doesn't have anything to do with the age. It just means you have some spiritual maturity about you. You've lived long enough to have some life experience, you know. 
friend of mine told me one time, he said, he's an older man, but he said, I don't think a pastor really does their greatest work till they're at least in their 50s. Boy, that ship sailed for me. <laughs> but he just simply said, by then you've raised your family, you know, you have some life experience. And so when you teach people, you're teaching from a different place than you did when you were in your 20s. Not that you don't bring value in your 20s and 30s and 40s, you do. But he was just saying you're in a different place when you hit 50. And in my case, I'll be, I'll be 65 this year, dear Lord. So I can hopefully, I should be better at that by now, shouldn't I get that? But here's point. Poime, poime, presbyteros. Here's the third word, uh, episkopos, episkopos. Um, epi is overlook, oversee, scopos is to see like a scope on a rifle, episcopos, it means to oversee. Uh, Episcopal comes from that idea, meaning that we're to be shepherds, we lead and feed, we're to be spiritually mature, we ought to have some wisdom, and we oversee. It doesn't mean that a leader or a pastor has to do everything, but it means you have to see that everything gets done. You're like that in your work, right, your business. You don't have to do everything, but you sure have to make sure it gets done. Well, that's it. So I'm saying, Paul talks about the, the form of the church, but listen, a church can have incredible structure, but if it doesn't have the activity of the Holy Spirit, there's no life. Organization is wonderful, but you have to be an organism. It needs to be a living thing. What happened in Acts 1? Jesus ascended. What happened in Acts 2? The Holy Spirit descended. What happened in the books of, book of Acts, which is transitional? It is the moving of the Holy Spirit into the life of the church and into the lives of his people. What happened to the body? He formed it, but he breathed on Acts 2, the breath of life. And the body, the body, the church, became a living entity. So it's the Spirit of God within our church that brings life. So we are a church that is formed, but we're a church that is filled. The Spirit of God, the ability of God to take one thing and apply it in a different way. He can take a message that I'm teaching in one direction and apply it in a totally different direction. Some of you can walk out of here saying, man, I just feel like God kind of rebuked me on this note. And some of you can walk out of here saying, I feel like God encouraged me on this note because that's the work of the Holy Spirit. When that happens in the life of a church, it's a sign of his filling. So the body form, the body fill. Here's the last one. The body's to function. The church is to function. What are we to do? Remember, we're back to what I said. First, we're to bring him glory. Everything we do as a church should reflect who he is. That's why we have a resource center that's helping hurting people. We've told you before, we can't reach people until they get reachable. And they get reachable when they go through a crisis. And so the church needs to align itself alongside of people who are in a crisis. Here's what I know about everybody in this room. We're all broken in some place. We're broken over something. We would not be here this morning if we knew we were perfect. We're here this morning because we know we need some encouragement and we know there is something within our heart that desperately desires a deeper, more meaningful connection with our Creator. We want to understand what he wants us to do. We want to know that as a church and we want to know that as an individual because where I am on that, guys, and this is a core value, I believe we are immortal until God is finished with us. Ecclesiastes 3 was that passage that God really spoke into my life when Cindy went to heaven. He said, to everything there is a season and then there is a time to every purpose under heaven. Life is seasonal. Good seasons and bad, happy and sad. And in those seasons of life, there's time that we're given and the time is connected to purpose. Let me explain it. 
As long as we have purpose, God will give us time. The fact that we're here, the fact that you're here, the fact that I'm standing before you, God's not finished with us. Say, Bill, I don't know if God's finished with me yet, man. I just don't know. No, he's not finished with you. Well, how do I know when he's finished with me? You'll know. (laughs) Dear God, you'll be the first to know. (laughs) But until that happens, he is not finished with you. Man, as long as that heart's thumping and there's breath in those lungs, there's something for you to do. There's a life for you to church. There's a difference that you can make. Man, just don't give in. Don't give out. Don't give up. <laughs> you just keep moving forward, trusting God. And if you don't, there's a tendency we have just to pull in, pull away, insulate, isolate. And we forget that God's left us here for purpose, to function. Let me give you this. Second time I said closing, so I'm right there. When the pilgrims landed here so many years ago, the first thing the pilgrims did in the first year they were here is they established a town. The second year the pilgrims were here, they began to bring structure and they created a town council. By year three, after the pilgrims were here and established a town council, the town council proposed that they build a road five miles into the wilderness. By year four, The people wanted to impeach the town council because they said building a road would be far too costly and far too risky. Get this. The people who at one point could see across the Atlantic Ocean to a land that they had never been before within five years could not see five miles into the wilderness. There's a tendency we have to play it safe, to insulate, and to isolate in the church, God has called us to do bold things, big things, to help people and reach people, to get creative in what that looks like. Some of you have so many creative ideas and you bring value. You say, hey, we got to say, we could do this. Have you thought about that? No, we hadn't thought about that. Let's do it. Maybe that's why God brought you here, to give us some big ideas. We wanna do some bold things and we wanna see what God will do in and through our lives together. I don't know about you, I just don't want to mark time. I want to make a difference. I want to slide into my grave one day and hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. You said through Isaiah, when your word goes forth, it never returns empty. It always hits a target. It always accomplishes purpose. So I pray, Father, your word will take lodging in our hearts, to stimulate our thinking, to help us begin to develop some new patterns that will change our life. Father, I pray, I pray for everyone in this room, for every family and every business represented here, that you'll continue to walk with them and guide them and guard them in all that they do. I pray, Father, if there's one in the room who may never have trusted you, that this might be the moment right where they are, where they swallow their pride and say, Lord, Jesus, come into my heart, forgive my sin. With all that I know about me, I now trust all that I know about you. Father, I pray you'll give us a wonderful week. Help us to make a difference in somebody's life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, 
please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.